Hey everyone, it's Caleb. I'm so excited that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner. Here on the Learner's Corner, we really want to create a safe place to have dangerous conversations because we know that some people, some places are not necessarily safe to have all kinds of conversations. But here on the Learner's Corner, we want to be that place to where you can come and you can learn in a safe environment and maybe uh, have some fun along the way also. And I have a great episode for you today. Today, I am joined by Sarah Anderson, who is a former guest on the podcast. She has written one of my favorite books of 2020 called The Space Between Us. She is also a writer and editor for the Orange uh, uh, Curriculum, which uh, provides many resources to churches as well. And I'm excited to jump into our conversation to really, really, we're looking back on 2020 and some of the lessons that she's learned during this time. And I'm asking her also about some of the things that she's learned for some of her favorite things, some of the best things that she's learned from and some of the podcasts, the books uh, that have really impacted her this past year, as long as some life lessons as well. And I'm going to jump into that conversation here in just a second. But before that, I do want to give a couple quick shout outs. One to Sam Massey, who has uh, created the music for this podcast. I'm so thankful for him. You've helped make the podcast uh, better as we can continue to grow and develop as well. And I just want to give a shout out to uh, my editor as well, Garrett Oler, who takes care of all of the editing of these podcasts. Also, you two have made The Learner's Corner a much better podcast, and I'm incredibly thankful for the both of you. Without any further wait, here is my conversation with Sarah Anderson as we look back on 2020. Well, Sarah, it's so glad and so excited to have you back on the Learner's Corner podcast today. It is so good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to, on this episode, kind of want to do like a year in review. And I would just love to just kind of pick your brain on some of the things that you've learned in 2020 and uh, yeah. some of the best things that you've learned from in 2020 as well. Yeah. But before that, uh, you have released a book and you know you're on the podcast and we talked about that then. Yeah. Um, and I'm just wanting to know after having so many different conversations with so many people after the book has been released, is there anything that you're like, oh man, I, if I could go back, if I could do like a second printing of the book <laughs> or a reprint of the book, I, I would want to talk about this or these are some things that you learned through that. Yeah, that's a good question. So this was, you know, obviously the first book, you know, that I've done, um, but I write curriculum for a living that we release quarterly. And I found the same thing to be true with the book that's true with curriculum writing, that once you hit publish, you immediately regret that you didn't say one thing over another, or you go back and like, oh, I wish I had the chance to rephrase that. Or I think I would have said it this way. So I think I've just kind of learned over the years with curriculum writing that there's always going to be, I should have, or I could have done it better. And and I think in a lot of ways, um, that fear is what kept me from publishing Mm -hmm. for so many years. I mean, I started writing the book four years ago, um, and it'd been finished for well over a year, but I just didn't, that didn't wrap it up, kind of publish it and do all that kind of thing. So I think kind of like that fear of not getting everything in there that I wanted to be in there was a means of uh, procrastination and kind of kept me from doing it. So I think I had to get over that and, um, and just kind of hit publish and know 
that this was not going to necessarily reflect everything I wanted to say and that there would be things later that I would want to say. So that being said, I I think there are two chapters. The last two Mm -hmm. chapters, I talk about wonder versus expectation and mystery versus certainty. And those contained ideas that I think in the book um, more express the religious side of things, tension-wise, that I've since kind of seen play out more politically. And I think I've read more and learned more and kind of fleshed out some of those ideas more. Um, So I think I would probably go back, talk more about what those ideas look like politically. Um, And the thing that's kind of interesting about a, a book, like you put, it's this static thing, right? Like you release it and then you have these conversations about it and that becomes its own sort of thing. So I feel like there's things I've learned in talking about it that I'm like, oh, I don't think I thought about that when I was writing it, but that's kind of also true. And I don't know, it's like, it's kind of this weird growth um, process that that kind of becomes its own sort of thing after it's published, the talking about it is. Mm-hmm. So um, I do think in the talking about it and the conversations about it, there are some things I would do differently. Overall though, I'm like, I think I still agree <laughs> with everything yeah. I put in there, but I think it would be... Um, it would probably be a, not a great thing if five years from now I went back and read it and didn't see things I would want to change. Like, I think that that's a sign of growth and learning. If I, if I look back and I go, I wouldn't have said it that way. I would say it this way now, or I've learned this in the process or, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that's helpful, but that fear of not wanting to see something we want to change, I think is what keeps us from um, pushing publish sometimes. Mm-hmm. What well, what was the final thing that made you go, Okay, I just got to put this book out there. Um, it was an election year. <laughs> I think that helped because <laughs> um, I felt like it was more timely than ever before. Um, but I think it was just, I don't know. I mean, you know, 2020 gave us a lot of things, good and bad. But one of the good things I think it gave me was time and just kind of allowed me to to be like, what am I doing with the time I have at home? I have the, you know, the hours to really put it into this. And, um, it was more, it was so much more of like an internal thing for me that like, Mm. am I okay putting this out knowing it could flop, um, you know, in the professional sense of the word, but I did what I felt like I had to do because I was at at the right place emotionally, spiritually, mentally, internally. Right. So I think I just had to let go of like the outside measure of success and be like, this is a message I believe in. And I'm going to put it out regardless of whether my family is the only people who buy this book. (laughs) So just kind of moving forward with it and, um, and, 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 and faith that the message mattered more than the success of the book. Man, that's powerful. There's, a, I feel like that that in itself could just be a whole podcast right there. Um, yeah. But what uh, what have you learned through just launching, like launching the book, as well as yeah. everything that you've learned in particular about that? Yeah, um, I would say the biggest thing is that whatever I did can't be replicated. Like if I wrote another book, I know I could do all the same things, and it would could be a completely different story. I think there were so many things that for me, it did better than I thought it was going to be. I should say that. Um, and I don't think it was because of anything I did. I think the timing was right. Um, I think, which was great for self-publishing. I had complete control over the timing. So I could release it when I wanted to release it. Um, so that's really helped, but I just, there was no formula that made it quote unquote successful in the launch. And I think that 
is going to be really important for me to remember if I do this again, that, um, this is not, there isn't a five-step process that guarantees success when it comes to releasing a book. And I think the other thing I learned, I had to let go of, I think, you know, what I just said, the success, like how I was measuring the success of this. And I had to learn to be okay with being uncomfortable and asking friends um, mm-hmm. for favors and doing like the self-promotion. And that was like my biggest hangup in going into yeah. this whole process was how much I would have to market myself. Like that just feels gross to me. And I hated the idea of it, but I had a really good friend who had really pushed me in starting the blog several years ago. And when I would talk to him about all, you know, my hangups with this, he would say, um, you don't, don't answer a favor for someone else. Like ask them and let them tell you, no, don't, don't tell yourself no that, mm-hmm. and not ask them because of it. Like, like make the ask, get uncomfortable. It's totally fine. And then he said, the work you're doing now, like the promotion of the book is the work that honors the work you put into the book. Mm-hmm. And in the way he talked about that was that this wasn't extra, like this isn't a chore or a hassle to have to market, market the book. This is what you do to show respect for the message and the hours upon hours of your life you poured into the book. Like this is what you do to honor that. And that made it seem like, okay, if I believe this much in the message, then I am willing to put myself out there and ask for favors of people and be told no. And I was told no for a lot of things, Um, but being okay with it because I was honoring all the years of work, all the hours of work um, that went into it and putting the message on paper. So I think it would be um, don't sell yourself short and, and, or sell your, sell your friends short or the relationship short, like make the ask you will be told no, but sometimes, but it's worth doing it. And I was so surprised at how many yeses I got from people. Like yeah. that was so encouraging to me. And it was, um, it just was really empowering to me to feel like there are people who want to help and I don't want to have missed out on an opportunity because I never asked him. Yeah. Well, just as uh, we move more into kind of talking about the, I mean, we've been talking about 2020, um, but one of the questions that I came across yeah. uh, recently is from this guy. I think his name is Bruce uh, Feller or Feeler, um, and it's looking back. Oh yeah, uh huh. Yeah, from have you read Life Is in the Transitions before that book, or have you heard of that? No, before? I haven't, but I have a book on my bookshelf I'm looking at right now by him called walking the Bible, but I, yeah. so I don't know about this book you're, you're talking about. Uh, I think it just came out this year. Like I've just okay. started reading it like within the last week and it is like, it's blowing my mind. It's one of the best books that I've read this year. That's awesome. What's it called? You said life, the transitions life is in the transitions. Life is in the transitions. Yeah. Okay. And then it's all about how, awesome. uh, how we used to view life in a very linear fashion and life mm-hmm. has adjusted and life is no longer that, but mm-hmm. we haven't a ad- adapted and adjusted our tools to handling a nonlinear life. And so, oh, it's so good. I highly recommend it. Okay. Um, But one of the book, one of the questions that he asks in there is he says, looking back over the past year with all of its chapters, scenes, and challenges, have you been able to discern like a central theme or a central lesson that you've learned in 2020? Yeah. Uh, I love that question. I, Cause I feel like at the beginning of year, people are always saying like, what's, what do you want the word to be like to kind of project that word out? But I, I do a much better job reflecting back <laughs> and trying to pick out that, that. So I love that idea of I'm looking for a word. I would say the word for me would probably be agency. Um, and I don't know that I would have used that word, you know, six months ago or, or a year ago. Um, 
but I heard it talked about in this podcast a couple of weeks ago. And it's the idea of, um, you know, that we have the power or influence or ability to do something. Um, so it's acting within the power that we have. And I think the things that I've learned this past year, that I think a lot of us learned, um, is that we have agency over more things than we thought and less agency in areas that we may have thought we did. So I think going into 2020, we thought that the things that we had control over were the routines that we kept, you know, our family schedule, you know, the the ability to travel, to go where we want, when we want, whatever that means. But the year of COVID really showed us that wasn't true. (laughs) We weren't Mm -hmm. as powerful as we thought in a lot of areas that, you know, borders were closed, masks were required. Our kids were sent home from school and things that we used to think were in our control weren't. And so what I started learning, you know, a couple months into COVID and into quarantine, quarantine was how important it was, um, that I identify the areas of my life that I still had agency, that I still had control. So, you know, on a very small level, it was okay. Even though we aren't leaving the house, I need to get out of sweatpants, like make a choice to get dressed and pretend that this is like the start of the day and make the day look different than the night, you know, little things that we could do. I think we all learned that. Um, but it was a way of saying that this, this bigger picture of the world may be out of control, but this little thing isn't. So, um, so I think that was for me, the biggest lesson, um, just learning to identify the areas where, um, I felt like I had control. And I think ultimately it was that idea of agency that did help me to finally make that final push to publish the book. Cause I think for too long, I had felt powerless because, um, this message wasn't something that traditional publishers wanted, or I didn't have the following a big enough following to, to get a publishing deal. And so I felt like I had no agency in it. And in 2020 taught me to be like, no, I have more control over this than I think I do. And, and really kind of leaning into that. Um, and, and I read this book at the beginning of the year, I never would have thought that it would have played out this way. This was before the pandemic hit, but it was called um, The Choice by Edith. I don't know if you say Egger, Eager, but she's a Holocaust survivor. Mm-hmm. And the thing that she talks about in her book was that the people who, who lived through the concentration camps, the people who made it to the other side were those who figured out the small acts of rebellion and the small acts of power that they could have, even when their identities had been stripped away, when they had been, um, you know, they were numbers and, and not names anymore, that they were made, so, they were so dehumanized in their treatment. And, but the things that made these people live were the small things, the small messages that they could tell themselves every single day, that they activated their agency, even though they're completely powerless in so many other ways. And so I think that idea, um, you know, whether it's something as dramatic as living through the Holocaust in a concentration camp, or just what, we're, what we've experienced this year, identifying the little areas that we have power and leaning into them and, and allowing ourselves to feel empowered and not helpless in those areas. Is, is there anything else in 2020 that you've learned that really stands out to you? Um, yeah, I would just say that it was so much like kind of a year of tension of learning um, how big the world was, but also how small it was, like how connected we are to each other. Um, kind of learning that tension that there's like some really great things that can happen simultaneously with some really difficult things, how, how meaningful and big and valuable we are as individuals, but then also how small we are in the grand scheme of things. I think there's just something that was very grounding about this year um, that really stood out to me in a way that I hadn't experienced before. Mm -hmm. What, what are, I mean, you, you've mentioned uh, 
a couple of them, but what are the the books, the podcast, you know, all every everything, or what are the things that you look back on and go, wow? I mean, you mentioned the choice, obviously. Mm-hmm. What are some other things like that that uh, either hit you at like just the right time that like yeah. radically changed your thinking about things? Yeah. Um, so I have a Goodreads account. So when I go back and I was looking at this past year's, this year has felt so long. <laughs> like I can't believe the books I read at the beginning of the year. And I'm like, that feels like an eternity ago, but yeah. it's interesting. So yeah, the choice was one that I read. I think I read it in January, having no idea how that would kind of play out this year. Um, so that was definitely one of them. I read another one called not in God's name, confronting religious violence, um, by rabbi John, uh, Jonathan Sachs. And, um, he just kind of talks about, um, basically the, the, the harmful things that have been done in God's name, um, through different religions and just kind of a way to overcome that. And I love him. I love self-aware faith leaders who are able to look at their own tradition and to say, this is where we've gotten it right. And this is where we've gotten it wrong. And then do the same thing when it looks, when looking at other faith traditions. So I loved his book. Um, he actually just passed away a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and he was, um, on Krista Tippett's on being podcast in 2010 and they re-aired it. And you just listen to him. He's just one of those men who just oozed wisdom and insight. And you're just, you could just listen to him for hours. So, um, I loved reading that book at the earlier part of this year and going back and listening to that podcast, um, in terms of podcasts that I've, I've listened to on being is one I listen to regularly. Um, the confessional with Nadia Boltz Weber is a fantastic podcast where she just kind of takes one person and just interviews them on their life. And she literally treats it like a confessional. She's a Lutheran priest and pastor. And, um, it's people kind of just like telling their secrets and kind of what they've learned and processed from them. Um, I love Brene Brown's podcast. Um, even though it's a little crass, I love, uh, Dak Shepard's armchair experts, experts on experts. I love people who bring in, who are smart and then bring in people who are smarter than them and they're willing to learn. You know what I mean? Like there's something really, I just love that. I love people that come in as um, learners and asking questions. And I'm always learning from people that Dak Shepard brings on that, that podcast, the book, or I'm sorry, the movie that I loved. And I've probably watched four times this year was Jojo rabbit. Have you seen that? Oh, oh, I love Jojo rabbit. It's so good. So good. I mean, I think I watched it like four times within a period of a month. There was something about that movie. I don't even know how to explain it. And I tried to tell people to watch it. And they're like, well, what's it about? I'm like, it's World War II, but it's kind of a comedy. And it's like, you can't even communicate what it's about. Like, it's just so hard to wrap words around it, but it was so well done. The music was fantastic. The writing was fantastic. The colors, this, I mean, all of it was just so good. And there was just something about like that coming of age um, the, you know, the triumph of the human spirit, you know, all of that in that movie was fantastic. So mm-hmm. on an entertainment level and on a meaningful level, I would definitely say that. And then the documentary, the social dilemma, um, mm-hmm. was really, was really good as well. What did the social dilemma, uh, like make you think about or reveal to you? Yeah, I think it, what it did was, I think it confirmed what I think a lot of people were feeling that maybe, our social networks had more control over us than we thought. Um, but it was one of those things where I've, I've been so impressed hearing the numbers of how many people have watched it and thinking, 
okay, this is how we begin to make a change. Like nothing changes with the control social media has over us if only like five people decide to change or or do something about it. But millions of people have watched this movie and I think, gosh, this is how we can start to put um, the power that social media has in us in in its rightful place when all of us decide to make a decision of, of what we're going to give our attention to when it comes to the social media platform. So I just think it's really interesting anytime you see people who created a product say, I created this, but I'm not okay with my kids participating in this. Like that to me is very telling. And that's what that movie, you know, having people who are part of Google and Pinterest and, you know, all these different platforms being like, yeah, I don't want my kids to have any, anything to do with this. Like that to me is a red flag and to see their, um, their willingness to kind of put their, their names out there and to be like, we kind of created a monster and I'm not sure if we know how to reel it back in. Mm -hmm. was just fascinating to me. Yeah. What's something that you've started doing in 2020 that's helped you a lot? Um, I am not a morning person. I'm still not a morning person, but I think what I've started doing in 2020, especially when we were stuck in the house, was getting um, just getting away from the people in my house for a little while, <laughs> the kids. Mm-hmm. Um and just taking time to be by myself, but also like be outside and move and listen to podcasts and kind of have like time to process and learn and listen, but do it um, in nature when you couldn't like travel or go anywhere to like just start to enjoy the things that were really close to our house. So every morning now I still do it. I get up and I walk to this breakfast place, pick up a cappuccino to go, listen, you know, listening to a podcast the whole time. And it's been such a gift to me to have that time in the morning. So I don't ever want to stop doing that. And I'm hoping that um, even if life goes back to more normal, I don't get to, I don't lose the time to do that. Yeah. Talk to me about the, like, how has that affected like the rest of your day or like the, re- yeah. like, how has that impacted you? Like how, how is, you know, the morning routine or whatever, yeah. like affected you? It makes me feel like I've done something already. <laughs> <laughs> without having to do very much. Right. It's like, if I can just get up and walk, I feel like, okay, I've done something. Cause my tendency is to wake up and then immediately pour myself a cup of coffee and, and start reading a book and sit on the couch, which I still would love to do, but the walking part of it and like getting outside. And now, especially that's getting colder and feeling like, I don't know, just kind of experiencing the environment around me is just, I just have really loved feeling like, okay, I did something and, um, I moved, I didn't sit on the couch all day. Cause I could, I could sit on the couch and read all day or sit in front of my computer all day and feel fine. But I've loved what the moving has done for me. Um, and it's made me, uh, want to be more active, like with my boys, you know, playing outside with them and just kind of, I, I think it set a tone for the day. I start mm-hmm. out moving, then I'm like, okay, to keep moving the rest of the day. And I think I like what that, what that's done for me. Yeah. What, what's something that you've stopped doing in 2020 that's helped you a lot? Um, probably what everybody had to stop doing. That was traveling. So mm-hmm. I would not have said that was a good thing when it happened. We had a trip planned the um, second week of March to go to Italy, which was right where the hot spot was of COVID at that time. Like literally the same region where it was where it all kind of like hit the fan. Um so we were supposed to go there and then that trip was canceled and we had something planned for spring break with our boys and that was canceled and everybody kind of experienced that. Um, and I think it ended up being more of a gift than I thought it was. I don't think I realized how much I started to see traveling as an escape from normal mm-hmm. life. Um, I think it's just a really easy way to kind of be like, 
if you've got something to look forward to, some kind of trip or whatever that is, then I don't have to be fully present where I am right now. And when all that got taken off the table, it was kind of like, I don't have anything to look forward to. I can't escape somewhere. I don't know the next time we're going to be able to get on a plane um, or go experience, you know, a beautiful place or a different culture, whatever that is. Like I am here. So what do I need to do to actually be here right now? Um, And I think it just made me confront the stuff that maybe I would have tried to avoid otherwise. So whether that was like tensions between my kids and navigating Mm -hmm. arguments or, you know, whatever it was, it just, it forced me to be present in a way that I don't think I had been before. So I still want to (laughs) travel. I don't, I want to pick that back up, but I do, I do think it taught me something about, um, not avoiding the difficult, the tension and, and living in the, in the messiness of right now in our own homes and our own families and not trying to escape it. Mm-hmm. And what, what have you found or discovered through, uh, through choosing to confront or acknowledge that tension? Um, that it's harder to do. Sometimes it's harder to be present than it is to, um, literally escape, get on a plane, um, or mentally escape, pick up a book, or turn on Netflix, whatever it is, um, it's a lot harder to lean into the tension with, um, you know, feeling frustrated with, you know, family relationships or feeling like trying to keep things compartmentalized with like work hours and then parenting, but we're all in the house together at the same time and trying to figure that all out. I think it's really forced me to, um, some resilience, I think in those areas that I'm, I'm stronger than I thought I was my, I've tried to teach that to my kids in this season, that they're stronger than they think they are, that we can, we can get through this together. We don't have to escape. We don't have to like tie a bow on all of this. Like this can be really hard, but we can get through it together. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things or some of the trends that like you saw in 2020 Mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, if, be paying attention to these things mm-hmm. in 2021 because they're not going away. Yeah. Yeah. I I could be saying this because I want it to be this way, but I think the fact that people have learned how to work remotely so well, I think that's going to be something that sticks around for a while. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it, it makes it makes sense for businesses to not necessarily have all of the physical space that they thought they needed before when people can be working from home. Um, You know, my husband and I talked a lot about it when he was home. He's had to go in a little bit more now, but he was like, I was spending two hours a day in a car. And for what purpose? Like, just so we could all be in the same room together sometimes like that. There's no need for that. Like he talked about it a little bit as like a moral issue when it comes to, um, the environment and mm. and what we've seen change environmentally when everybody was staying home. Like, I don't know if you remember some of these stories, but when everybody was quarantining around the world, like they were talking about um, like in Venice and the canals, like how clear the water was becoming because nobody, there weren't boats in yeah. the water anymore. Or there is an article we read about this village um, in the, near the Himalayas. It was like, I don't know, 40 miles from the Himalayas, but it was, there was so much smog from the city that for the past 30 years, you hadn't been able to see the mountain range from the city. But when everybody started staying home, all of a sudden they could see the Himalayas for the first time. And it was just became that kind of this idea of like, oh my gosh, now that we've seen the Himalayas, now we know it's possible. I don't want to go back to what life was before. So what can we be doing environmentally by staying home more? That's going to help us not just, um, you know, not just the planet, but in our relationships by being home more and not being in the car as much. Like, what does that look like? So I'm hoping that stays the same. Um, 
selfishly for traffic purposes in Atlanta. I hope that stays the same because traffic has been awesome this past year. Not as much people on the roads has been really good for us. So many things and that this was the way it was for everybody. So I'm, I'm hoping that stays the same, that, that families continue to ask questions. Um, like, why are we doing this? Is this helpful to keep doing this? And, and then just, um, I don't know, make choices that are, that are good for the family as a result of that. So I hope that that stays the same. I think churches are going to have to keep asking questions of why are we, what's our purpose of gathering? And are we, handling our gatherings in a way um, that brings the most meaning and purpose to them. So one of the podcasts I listened to a couple of weeks ago, a Brene Brown podcast was with a woman named Priya Parker. Mm -hmm. And she wrote this book called The Art of Gathering. And she talked about how there are these social gatherings we have and the ones that um, follow the most routine and formulaic kind of unfolding are the ones that lack the most meaning. So she talks about if you've been to one baby shower, you've been to all of them, right? They're all the same. It's pin the diaper on the baby. You drink punch. You look at old baby pictures of the parents. I mean, it's, it's all the same and nobody, it's not a very meaningful experience, but if we can start asking the question of, okay, we're going to have this gathering. What would make this meaningful for all the people that attend? What's the purpose that we're hoping to accomplish? So I think as churches stopped meeting, I think it's allowed us an opportunity to get really introspective about why we do things the way we do them. And to ask, is this a rut that we're stuck in when we do things this way? Or is this a really meaningful tradition that we want to hold on to because it gives purpose in this way? So I hope that, um, churches especially, continue asking that question as we've had a break from meeting. What do we want to bring back as we start meeting again? Um, stay the same and what needs to kind of pivot because this is kind of a new world that we're living in. Yeah. Uh, I would love your thoughts on, uh, you know, you talked about the remote work and then I yeah. and me be working at a church. How do, how do you think that intersects with like with the church and everything and moving more towards a remote work type of thing, just because it's not uh, like, I think there's very much the mentality, like, Hey, if it has to be a meaningful conversation or something like that, it Mm -hmm. almost has to be in person. Yeah. But I don't necessarily believe that. I don't necessarily. So I would just love your thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are things, I mean, I've been in, you know, we've all been in hundreds of zoom meetings at this point and their zoom fatigue is real. (laughs) Like I don't want to sit on a screen all the time. Um, And I do think that there is something about an energy of people being in the room together. I think we have learned that when we weren't able to meet, that there is something about physical presence with one another that matters. But I think we assumed that everything had to be a meeting when it was like, maybe this is just a phone conversation we have really quickly and we wrap it up. And, you know, this doesn't need to be a face-to-face Zoom, whatever. It's like, we can just exchange emails about this. So I think we're, we're having to learn how to prioritize what's worth gathering over um, and what's not. And being okay that I think there's, um, when it comes to the work thing, employers are having to be like, do I trust that the work is getting done even if I'm not in the same physical space with people to see that it's getting done? And and learning how to trust that maybe the number of hours or being in the same location doesn't matter as much as the content and the quality of what's being produced, no matter where it is, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we are having to ask that question. And I think for churches, you know, one of the things that we're talking about our, at our church is, okay, we're not sure if we're, we're at a point where we're going to start doing every Sunday meeting together, but what are the gatherings that we can start having once a month 
that Mm -hmm. are meaningful and purposeful and get people in the same place again and have them singing together again. Cause I think there's something really powerful about that. There's something really powerful about um, eye contact with people, you know, face-to-face eye contact and not just over a screen. So deciding what are the events that um, require physical presence. Cause they, I think that, that we, they do, you know, we, I think that is a requirement and some mm-hmm. things, I think we know that, but maybe not always the way that we we've done it before. Yeah. And just as we're wrapping up, I would just love uh, for you to just kind of reflect on, reflect on 2020 yeah. and based on everything that you've gone through, based on everything that you've learned, everything that you've seen, if you were going to boil down, like, Hey, if you're going to give advice to like the Sarah at the beginning of 2020, <laughs> what would you say? That's a good way to phrase that question. I think all of us would have been like, you will have no idea <laughs> how this yeah. is going to play out. Yeah. It's like first um, piece of advice is going to feel like two years. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It will never end. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I would tell myself to learn to be okay with the tension that 2020 gave us. So for me, I think this was true for a lot of families. Um, there were really dark moments in 2020. We had dear friends of ours lose their son this year. Um, we had, a, we, we nearly lost a great friend to COVID itself. Um, there were dark moments, especially in the beginning, um, where we didn't know how this was going to play out. And and we didn't know enough about COVID to be like, how scary is this? And how are are we going to make it through emotionally, physically, you know, mentally, all of that. Um, but at the same time, I feel like COVID gave us this gift of time with our family, um, and presence with our family that we have not had we've never had, we were eating three meals together around the table, you know, every day that never happens. And so there was this weird kind of tension of things are really scary and difficult. And then this on the other side of like, but there's also been these like beautiful moments of joy and, and presence. And it it was, it was this weird thing. And I think I would have wanted to say it was all one thing or the other prior to this year. It could, it was only this or only this. And I think this year has taught me that it can be both at the same time, that it can be really scary and uncertain and it can be really beautiful too. And there can be a lot of gifts in it and to not, um, to not force anything into a box or tie it up with a bow that, um, it can be really complicated and messy and that that's okay. It's both. And right. It's not one thing or the other and kind of leaning into that tension and not being, um, afraid of it. Yeah. Well, Sarah, I know that people are going to want to continue to follow you. And if they haven't picked up your book, The Space Between Us, they're definitely going to want to do that. Where's the best place for people to go to pick up the book and to continue to follow you also? Yeah, the book is at Amazon. You can order it from there. I think Barnes & Noble has it. Uh, There's a If you're an independent bookstore, um, you can go to bookshop.com. They have like a whole bunch of independent bookstores listed there and you can order it from there as well. If you don't want to do that whole Amazon thing. Um, and then my website is sarahbanderson.com and Instagram is sbanderson and Twitter is sarahbanderson. I'm all of those places. So people can follow me there. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the Learner's Corner. Thank you for having me. It was great to be back. Well, Sarah, thanks again so much for being on the podcast. And if you enjoyed our conversation, I highly encourage you to go buy her book, The Space Between Us. Like I said earlier, it's one of my favorite books that I've read this year. And if you didn't have a chance to check out our conversation that we had earlier this year, go and check that out right in your podcast feed 
as well. I think we had the conversation back in September. And so highly encourage you to go look at that. And also be on the lookout. We got a couple other episodes that are coming, looking back on 2020 as well. And so thank you so much for being a part of the Learner's Corner podcast. If you've been listening for years or whether or not you joined um, in the past couple of weeks, I would love to hear from you. And the best way to reach out to me, the best way to hear uh, from me is by going to my Instagram at Caleb J. Mason. I would love to hear some of the best things that you've learned in 2020 or some of the things that you've learned from that you've really enjoyed as well, whether that be books or documentaries or podcasts or anything like that. So thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Learner's Corner podcast. Until next time, keep learning and keep growing.